Hi, I'm Wade. I'm the dad. Before we get into the episode, I just want to mention a few things. Uh, so this episode is about toxic and abusive relationships. And so we've used some uh, pseudonyms uh, for people. And unfortunately, my daughter has a hard time remembering that we're using fake names. So I've had to silence sometimes when she's um, said the real name. So you're going to listen, especially in the the latter half of the episode, you're going to hear breaks of silence. It's okay. I They're meant to be there. Um, and you're also going to hear some cats and you might even hear a cell phone ring because we suck at this. And what do you expect from uh, a B grade podcast? So anyway, uh, enjoy the show. Welcome to Gen Gap Gas, the podcast that takes a look at topics from the generational and gender points of view. I'm Wade. I'm the dad. I'm Megan. I'm the daughter. And today we have a special guest with us. Who could the it one. be? <laughs> the one and only uh, D Snugs. D Snugs. Snugs in the house. Yes. Am I a good hype man, babe? The best. <laughs> yep. That's I'm the that's best. So so proud. I raised you to be a hype man. That's what you're I welcome. Did. You're, yeah. Yeah. You're very good at this. I finally found my life's goal, my life's passion. It's uh standing behind a person and yelling all their accomplish- accomplishments. Whoop, whoop, whoop. And just like whoop, doing hands and gestures like raise the roof and mm-hmm. jazz fingers. Yeah. Jazz oh, yeah. fingers. Yeah. You need to do more jazz fingers. He lived in Texas and survived. What? What? Oh, I, yeah. I need the I need the horn the wah, wah, wah. Yeah, wah, wah, wah. <laughs> okay um, so uh, as as jovial as we are we actually have a very serious topic that we're going to talk about today that's why we're um, being jovial at the beginning because we know <laughs> what we know have to talk about we know what's mm-hmm. coming so actually a couple things one this is the last episode of our season. Um, we are going to take a few weeks off after recording this to plan out the next season. Uh, so you probably won't see a new uh, episode probably until mid-June. Uh, we'll try to get one out a little bit earlier than that, but I think we're going to take a, a little break here. But um, uh, trigger warnings. So th- today's topic is uh, abusive relationships, toxic relationships, Uh, We are going to talk about topics such as mental, emotional, and possibly physical abuse, as well as alternative lifestyles. So uh, just want to make sure that that's mentioned right up front. If uh, those are sensitive topics for you, um, uh, you know, you're, you're welcome to, to, to wait until next season. Uh, We're going to try and keep this as family friendly as possible, but it's kind of hard to be family friendly when you're talking about, you know, abuse. Yeah. Right. So um, again, uh, if if these are our, our triggers for you uh, completely understand uh, we love you. We want to make sure that you're well taken care of, that you're healthy and that you're safe. 
Um, so feel free to, like I said, uh, to bail out of this episode. We'd love it if you stayed around because this is a very important topic for us and something that is very personal to us. So with that, um, let's set maybe the stage, Meg. Uh, oh, okay. Y- you have stories to tell. I do have stories because one of the reasons I wanted to talk about this topic is one, because it is something that needs to be talked about more. Yep. It needs mm-hmm. to not not be normalized. Like abusive relationships themselves should not be normalized. But in a way that the victims should realize that it's okay to talk about. And that there shouldn't be shame involved. Even though that's a lot easier said than done. Oh, very much mm-hmm. so. Uh, um, oftentimes, yes. victims don't talk about it because they are ashamed or afraid. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is something that we're wanting to help destigmatize right. and take away. So today, primarily, we're going to be talking about my experience in an abusive relationship, Dennis's or D-Snug's experience because I think it's really important that you hear it from a uh, the masculine side the the male side because you know <laughs> abusive relationships have happened to men too right mm-hmm. and then I will be sharing parts of a story that involve current events regarding a friend of both mine and Dennis's. I have gotten their permission to share this. So. And we will be changing names and locations and personal details because as men, as Megan mentioned, this is a, a situation that's happening in real time for, for them. And so uh, again, we want to be sensitive to them. And we also want to make sure that we're not making the situation worse uh, because you know, it it can it can get worse. Uh, right now, it seems to be fairly. I don't know. I, I won't say stable. That's not the right word. But um, things are not as escalated, right? As as, as they potentially could be, as so. they mm-hmm. could be, and we're wanting to keep it that way, right? So, how so. what's a What's a good way to jump into this topic? Well, I think, uh, you know, let's kind of set some context because you hit upon something, Meg, that I I think is an important point. And that is uh, from a generational point of view, again, remind everybody, I am of the uh, Gen X generation. Um, I've been wandering this planet for going on, you know, five decades. Um, And so growing up, um, I was brought up to believe that men don't get abused, right? That the men are the abusers oftentimes, mm-hmm. but men are not, um, are, vi- are not the victims of abuse because we're supposed to be big and manly and be able to protect ourselves. And Flames you know, was, I know side on, of the, face. On, on the side of my face, but that's, that's the burning. That's the, uh, you know, the, the, the culture that I grew up in, not mm-hmm. only with the culture in my home or the culture mm-hmm. in my, you know, in my neighborhood or my, my social circles, but that was just the, the culture, right? Where, um, you know, we, you heard like there was this movie that came out called The Burning Bed 
And, you know, this movie was uh, very shocking for a lot of people because it talked about how um, a woman had been abused for years uh, Mm -hmm. and she ended up, you know, killing her abuser by lighting the bed on fire Mm -hmm. that he was sleeping in. And, you know, that was very much a wake up call moment for society because it kind of thrust domestic abuse into a spotlight. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was really the first time that I personally became aware uh, beyond just, you know, I I never knew anybody um, that that's that's not uh, that's not true. Actually, I'll come back to that. I didn't believe I knew anybody that was being emotionally, physically or mentally abused. Also sexually abused. Or sexually abused. Mm-hmm. Um, turns out, I know some very some people who are very close to me that have gone through this. So, uh, you know, that just says that people are very good, can be very good at hiding this. Again, due to shame, due to fear, due to stigma. Um, mm-hmm. But let's get back to the, the main point here, and that is uh, men are victims of abuse uh, without without qualification. Without reservation, uh, you know, physical, emotional, mental, sexual abuse can happen to anyone, uh, regardless of age, regardless of gender, regardless of, of uh, orientation, re- regardless of any of that. So if you're a human, wanted, it can happen. It can happen. Mm-hmm. If you're a human and you're in society and you're, you know, you're with other people, it can happen. Mm-hmm. And so uh, let's, you know, let's just kind of get that out of the way first, you know, right up front that, you know, we're not going to uh, sit here and, and say that, you know, abuse cannot happen because you are male or because you are straight or because you are uh, white or because you, you know, um, have a, you know, and it, uh, superfluous toe. I don't know. Um, <laughs> you know, that happens. So, okay. Uh, Sounds Meg, good. Why don't you, uh, set the stage for your story and, okay. uh, Dennis and I will, will make listening sounds and, uh, support you, uh, okay. as, as best we can. Yep. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, so I guess I'm just going to jump right into it. Um, when I was 18, I met this man. We're going to call him Lucifer because he was my personal devil. Fitting name. Mm-hmm. Fitting name for a horrible person. <laughs> so, yeah, I met Lucifer through some circumstances that aren't necessarily important to. But when you met him, story. Megan, he oh. wasn't horrible. No. Right? He, was, he wasn't. He was, describe, describe Lucifer when you met him. When I first met him. Mm-hmm. Looking back, there were red flags, but well, okay, that's hindsight. But at the time, put yourself at the time back, back there and tell me what Lucifer was like when you met him. Well, when I first met him, he was this older man mm-hmm. who just seemed to have the worst luck in life, like. Mm-hmm. He just nothing went right for him. Right. And he made you feel for him. And I did. I 
from the moment he started sharing his life experiences, I just felt terrible for this guy. And also he was showing interest in me right? as a person. Right. He was asking me about myself. He was grooming you. Yeah, <laughs> basically. Um, and I basically fell for it. Hook lines. I shouldn't say fell for it because that's that's a negative connotation to it. Um, I believed him. Right. He seemed very sincere. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I didn't grow up really. I mean, I knew what abusive relationships were, but I'd never talked about it. Like, I've never heard people around me talk about it, really. I've never seen people in an abusive relationship. I mean, the relationship I grew up around seeing the most was mom and dad's, which is, for me, an example of a pretty dang healthy relationship. So I was, I will be honest, I was naive. I was just fresh out of high school, um, never been asked on a date. Actually, that's a lie. I'd only been asked out on one date in my then 18 years of life. And I was always someone who needed someone to want or need me. Okay. So let's let's push pause there for a second because I think this is is important because dynamics are happening here, right? First dynamic is that you... Uh, were your words naive, right? You were, um, you know, not prepared because you know, because your mom and I, we didn't have that talk with you, right? We didn't sit mm-hmm. you and your, your sister down and say, today we're going to talk about sexual, emotional, mental, physical abuse, right? Yes. And, and how to avoid, right? Um, Would have been the most can- awkward PowerPoint ever. Absolutely. Um, But we also don't really talk about this in school. We don't talk about this in church. We don't talk about this in polite conversation. Uh, You only talk about it behind closed doors and like if you're at your breaking point. We do see it on the TV. We do see it on the movie screen. We do read it in books. Um, But usually it is a, again, it's a a situation that you're... um, you're aware of happens, but it's never going to happen to you. Exactly. It's something yep. that happens to other people, right? Exactly. So that's first dynamic, right? So you didn't know, you didn't know that this could happen to you. No. Um, the second dynamic that's happening is that you are, you have insecurities. You, yes. Um, you are insecure and longing for love and acceptance from somebody else. That's not your parents. That's not your sister that mm-hmm. aren't, that isn't from, you know, people that are supposed to love you, right? Yeah, that's a hundred percent correct. Okay. So mm-hmm. second dynamic, third dynamic is that you have a, uh, an empathetic heart, right? And so if, and this is, yeah, this sucks. is both a blessing and a curse for you, right? Because I've seen, yep. this, I've, <laughs> I've seen this your entire life. I mean, um, I don't know how many times you said, you know, Oh, I just, I don't have any money after, getting paid. Well, what did the money go? Well, I, you know, went out with my friends and I bought them stuff. 
right? Yeah. So dress or so and so wanted to go out to dinner, and so you were easily taken advantage of by people. Yeah. I'm um, still working on that. And I know you are. And again, I don't mean this to be anything other than to be, um, you know, informative and, yeah. um, you know, setting up a stage. This is not, you know, this is not bag yeah. on, on Megan day. No, um, it's not. But honestly, it's important to list these things out because a lot of time people who have abusive traits seek out people. Right. Like this, seek out people who are not necessarily secure in themselves, people who have mm -hmm. empathy, people who they in their minds can spin a tale to. Well, and, and, you know, people, it used to be that it was harder for abusers to meet their prey. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. um, it's become so much easier. Right? Oh, with social yeah. media, with, with dating apps, with, yep. you know, there are, you know, there are, are men and women mm -hmm. that lie in wait for people to come along and either they, you know, they pick up on language that they use in their profiles yep. or they pick, they just pick up on something and says, Oh, I can, I can groom this person. Yes. Right? I can, I can get this person to fall in love with me. Yeah. Um, and you know, and I don't know that they're diabolically thinking about this, but maybe they, and maybe they are, I don't know. It could be conscious. It could be some conscious, whether it is or it's not, it's, it's yeah. still hundred percent wrong. Yeah. It goes back to, uh, abusers, um, Tend you know, to they, be, they, Yep, they are the hunters, and their victims are the hunted. And mm -hmm. so uh, those are the dynamics, I think, lined up for Lucifer to be able to, uh, I'll, again, I use the word groom you, uh, for his particular forms of abuse. Yep, 100%. Okay, so yep. you've just met Lucifer. He is- Just met Lucifer. He's, he's charming. He's Yeah, um, he's charming, like- uh, he was enthusiastic. He seemed like a genuinely nice guy. And right. <laughs> who's just had a rough go of it. And yeah, he was willing to, to tell you all his sad, you know, sad stories. Yeah. I'm sure mm -hmm. In, in oh. every one of them, he was the hero and, or the vil the victim, never oh, the villain. A hundred percent. Like he'll, he would in occasionally in his stories be like, yeah, there are some things I shouldn't have done, but I never thought it would lead to this. Right. Or things happened to him, not because of him. Right. So, so now you are, are you in a relationship with Lucifer at this point? Not really. Um, Honestly, looking back at it now, but you were relationship, physical. You were physical with him early on, correct? I was physical with him early on, yeah. um, somewhat by choice, somewhat not. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't want to get into too much detail in here because we're not that kind of podcast. Also, I don't want to scar my dad. Thank you. But you're welcome. Your dad appreciates that. We had mm -hmm. done a few things that were 
sexual in nature, but mm-hmm. not penetrative. Okay. So, and in the beginning. So I think he was also kind of getting me used to that because surprise, surprise, I'm an 18 year old who has maybe been kissed once or twice. And mm-hmm. um, I read a lot of romance novels. So I'm kind of curious about what a physical relationship I feel like. So the, Shocker. So Lucifer was Lucifer your first physical partner? He was my first physical partner. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I was never, he aware of this fact? Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He was 100% aware. Mm-hmm. I flat out told him like the first time we we're doing anything like this is my first time. Right. I'm super nervous. Apologizing that I might not be the best at what I'm doing. Because that's me. I apologize for everything, even though I shouldn't. Um, And so the first few encounters with him, um, he was very touchy, very feely. But at that point, I was just like, golly gee, (laughs) this older man who is... Uh, seemingly very confident in himself and quote unquote as I saw him very well put together (laughs) Um, he found me attractive which was a new feeling to me yeah that points points in his favor right yeah points in his favor like here is a guy who is a guy right and he looks at me and he doesn't see what has mostly always been seen of me because I dealt with bullying a lot too. That's another kind of abuse and I will not apologize for that saying that. Um, Mm -hmm. Where my looks and my weight were disparaged, especially by members of the opposite sex. So the fact that someone looked at me and found me attractive when I'd been told for so long that I wasn't huge magnet, like super drew me into him and i really think he knew that and if he didn't he definitely figured out later and then you know continue to use that against me but that's later in the story so it wasn't too many meetings in when he sexually assaulted me well of course <laughs> yeah um and he did rape me and that's how i lost my virginity And then I distinctly remember afterwards having a full-blown panic attack because I was terrified. Not of the fact that he necessarily took me against my will. Right. And it was more the fact that I was ashamed that I had sex right i was terrified what everyone was gonna think i was terrified especially because he didn't fucking use a condom and i was i wasn't on birth control so there was that like i was having a panic attack and i specifically remember him yelling at me and telling me i'm making a bigger deal of this than it is and Mm -hmm. that i shouldn't give a shit what other people think and that i just need to calm down right And I remember this because I called my best friend afterwards, after I'd left his house, and told her everything that happened. Right. And that's important that I did that. Yes. Because as the relationship progressed, 
And yes, I, after that first time, the sex just kept happening. Okay. So let's again, push pause for a second. Cause I think you did something very important right there, Meg. You told somebody. Yep. Mm-hmm. Right. So, um, I, I, <laughs> Again, want to highlight that because oftentimes victims of abuse mm-hmm. don't tell anyone, right? They, yeah. Because they let the shame uh, or the fear uh, or the stigma, mm-hmm. you know, um, basically tell, they tell themselves, yeah. nobody's going to believe me. Yep. Uh, uh-huh. Nobody's going to care. Mm-hmm. Um, they're going to think I asked for it because either I was dressed a certain way or because we've been physical yeah. before. Or and- in my case, uh, he honestly just said he wanted to show me what it felt like to have something inside of me. Right. And me in my naive mind was like, not naive. I shouldn't say naive. In the state of mind I was at currently trusting. in that time, I was trusting of him. Like he said, right. I'm just going to put it in and I'm going to take it out. I just want you to know what it feels like so that... Basically, in- inevitably, when we do have sex, you're not surprised. It might, it, it, you won't be surprised. You'll be expecting. Maybe it won't hurt as much. All that right. kind of shit. And I'm like, okay, yeah, let's do it. And shocker, he did not stop. Right. So, and I didn't necessarily fight him. But that's that's not important. I mean, that is important, but. That's not important, right? No, it's not Because the fact important. that you didn't fight him mm-hmm. does not negate the fact that he raped you. No. Right? Mm-hmm. The fact but, that you... Yeah. So, I um, do want to... I'm going to cut you off careful. for a second. Yes. I do want to point it out, though, that it felt like that. In that time, it felt like because I didn't fight him back... Right. ...that it did not constitute his rape. I would like to stand here, sit here, whatever, right now, and tell you, does not matter. If someone is taking you against your will, if you're saying stop, no, this hurts. Right. And even if you don't say that, if you are not enthusiastically consenting to what is going on, that is assault. That is rape. It does not matter. Do not let anyone especially your abusers tell you otherwise because I made that mistake. And because of it, I had a lot of sexual trauma that I didn't even realize I had until I came to the realization that this man fucking raped me. Right. Mm -hmm. So I recently heard something that I think is very appropriate here. And that is consent is an, is a sound they make not a feeling you feel. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, um, again, let's, let's be painfully clear here because, um, because you didn't say no, doesn't mean he didn't rape you because you didn't fight back. Doesn't mean he didn't rape you. Uh, those two things should are not, uh, do not have to happen. Right. You don't have to say, no, you don't have to fight back. Um, you, you know, as, as a person who is in control of their own body, um, if, yeah, if you're not 
if it's not consensual and con consent is a, you know, it's, it's a, again, a set, a, a word or a sound you make, not a feeling they have. Right. I exactly. Can, you know, uh, Lucifer, if I was to ask Lucifer, um, you know, did she consent? He probably would have said, yeah, I felt like she did. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because she, she let me do what I asked to do. And so I just, I just took that as consent. Right. <laughs> um, so for those people out there that may have had a similar situation and are carrying this around with you because you're like, I didn't fight back. And so it's my fault. Or I, I didn't, didn't tell him no. Or I didn't scream no. And that's or, my fault. and this is one that happens a little too often for my liking. You say yes, because you feel like you're pressured. You feel like it's owed. And then during the act, you want it to stop. Right. If they do not stop, it is still rape. Even yeah. if you agree to it at the beginning. Exactly. Yeah. So if, th if those things have happened to you, um, let's be very clear. What, it, what happened to you was sexual assault. What happened to you was, was not, was, you know, was a crime. Mm -hmm. And um, let's not let people, let's, let's not let abusers get away with that. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and let's destigmatize that it, you were somehow asking for it. Right. It, Correct. Mm -hmm. Okay. So thank you for letting me put push pause on that. Let's get back into the story. Of so uh, this again was early on in your relationship. Very early on. Like, I want to say like a week or two. Okay. So a week or two in you were sexually assaulted. Yes. Um, you did not started, recognize it as sexual assault at the time though. Well, I think on, maybe on some level. Maybe, I think on some level know? I did because I would make uh, snide remarks towards him throughout the rest of our quote unquote relationship about it. And we'll get to that. But so we, that happened. And suddenly I was not only like emotionally attached to him. I was like, physically attached to him and since he was my first partner i think a part of me felt like well now i have to be with him right and oh <laughs> the shit i went through in that relationship um it's and what's hard about abuse is sometimes it's not obvious to you I, in the beginning it can be a lot of little things a little comment a little comment here and there like saying oh you shouldn't be you know self-conscious about how you look i've dated women that are bigger than you before so you shouldn't be self-conscious just because you have a little bit of meat on your bones when knowing that commenting on my weight was a trigger it's, for you. It's a huge trigger for me. Right. So it's a backhanded comment. It's a, a backhanded compliment. Which I'll again, see, yeah. You know, is he, slowly chipping away at my already little self-esteem. Right. Right. And I'm gonna be honest about something else. I suffer from an eating disorder. Right. I am still working on recovery. The specific eating disorder I struggle with is binge eating disorder and bulimia nervosa. Those are the two eating disorders I struggle with. And I told him, 
out the gate. I have this. Hmm. And when I told him, he kind of just brushed off. Right. Like, I didn't expect him to make this whole huge, I'm so sorry. What can I do to help you? Like, I didn't expect him to, like, make a big deal out of it, but, and I don't know the circumstance which it happened, but I felt like you're talking to someone, you tell them something, that's a huge part of your life, that's honestly a danger to your life, if not checked, and they just decide to go around, like, turn around and play a video game. Right. Mm -hmm. That's what I felt like. Very, that's very narcissistic type of behavior. Oh, he was a narcissist. And I'm not just Mm -hmm. saying that because people like to throw around the term narcissist. I am legitimately like, and again, not a psychiatrist, not here to diagnose anyone. I'm just saying that from what I have read up about narcissism and narcissistic personalities, there's a lot of similarities. Yeah. I'm just going to leave it there. So Meg, I, I in the in the interest of time because we've got two yeah. other stories that we want to get to. So oh, I'm going to wrap let, it up. But well, I'm not trying to rush you. I'm just oh. saying that I know I know uh, a couple of things. Other things I want to point out that one, um, your mom and I had no idea, right? Mm-hmm. We we did not know this was going on. Yeah, because um, I was doing my best to keep this shit from you. Right. There was there were no obvious signs. Nope. There were. You know, you hadn't said anything. Um, the times that uh, I, you know, was in the presence of of Lucifer, which is weird to say, uh, was in his presence. Um, you know, he, there was there was no red flag, right? There was nothing. Yeah. He didn't have a T-shirt that says, "I am a narcissistic son of a bitch abuser," right? Yeah. No. Um, now, as the relationship progressed other people came into the relationship and you started, you know, dropping, either dropping hints. I'm I'm trying to recall how this kind of came to light, Yeah, but uh, you eventually did say something to some people. Uh, I think your, your, your sister, Mm -hmm. you said something, of course, your best friend was, you know, was, was aware of some of the things. Yeah. Um, He also, started doing, you know, uh, grooming other people, if I'm not mistaken. Kind of. He had already been grooming them. So to make a long story short, um, while everything was going on between us, and I mean from the very beginning on, um, he had a girlfriend in Germany. And I know it's like, I have a boyfriend in Canada. No, he legitimately had a girlfriend in Germany. and She's real. She's real. I've met her. Yeah, I really hope she got out of that relationship. Um, anyway, so, and I find out because his roommate made a remark about it. Like, she was hanging out with us in his room. I was sitting there, and she made a remark about it. And I remember, as soon as I heard that, I picked up my phone, and I texted him, what the actual fuck? Right. And I'm sorry about swearing, but. It's an emotionally charged uh, topic. It's an emotionally charged thing. Mm-hmm. And then his roommate left, like, either to go to work or to take a nap. I don't remember. Right. And I was pissed. But by the end of that conversation that we had about it, I was apologizing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Don't remember necessarily what the conversation was. Right. But what it really, the gist of it was, yes, I have this 
girl, I have this girl in Germany and she's coming down in like a month right? from Germany because she got an internship here. Right. So not only did I learn that he had a girlfriend, but, but that she, she was, was coming to live with him. She's coming over. In a month. Right. And I told him then and there. Surprise. We're done. Right. I'm not going to do this. Right. And at the beginning, he said he respected my decision. Right. That he wouldn't try anything. That we could still be friends. Hmm. And I was. I was still friends with him. And in fact, I went with him to the airport because he didn't have a car. Right. Dude was in his 30s. This goes back to your empathetic. Yeah. Niceness. Yeah. And so I drove him to mm-hmm. go pick, we're going to call her Lucy, okay. Lucy up from the airport, and Lucy then drive them back. Yep. And then when we got back, when she was going to put her stuff away, he pulled me into another room in the house he was staying in and tried to kiss me. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I stopped it there. And nothing happened that day. I left. Right. But then he asked me if I wanted to come hang out while she was at her work because he was feeling lonely and all that kind of stuff. And I did. And I do not know what happened that day. I don't. I don't remember what led. But what ended up happening is we ended up having, you know, the birds and the bees again. And I was sucked back in. Right. Like, I do not know what he said. I don't remember what he did. And there were a few times that that happened. Like, I would be angry or hurt or something, and I would call it off. But I wanted that, for me, I wanted that kind of final showdown where he acknowledged everything he had done mm-hmm. and apologized. And did you get that? No. Somehow, all those conversations, because I kept going to see him. Right. To have these conversations, it ended up me kind of being the bad guy. And okay. he's always going to be the victim. Yeah. And, the, and, the and he would charm me back in. Right. So mm-hmm. for a solid like three months, I was the other woman. Right. And I so was. How did, so how did you finally get out of the relationship? How did I finally get out of the relationship? Who, um, I honestly, I'm not really sure. Like, mm. I knew that something had happened that had broken the illusion. I was disillusioned with him. I didn't want to be around him anymore. Oh, I know what it is. That finally, like, woke me up to the, uh, holy crap, you're a terrible person. Mind you, he still commits me to be with him even after he introduced me to another guy who I was dating. Not even being in another relationship broke me out of whatever hold Lucifer had on me. What broke me out of the hold was a period of time where he would not let us answer the door if anyone knocked because he was afraid it would be the police (laughs) because 
this girl he had been talking to for a while had let him know that she was going to take her guardians to court Mm. for sexual assault. Okay. And he was paranoid because when they first started talking, she was like 15. Yeah. And they had been talking about explicit things. Yeah. And so after I realized and sat there for a moment and be like, The depths of his depravity. The depths of his depravity and the fact that he's a man who has to fear the police. (laughs) Knocking on the door. Because he was sexting an underage minor. Right. That's what finally, like, really did it in for me. (laughs) I was like, "I, I want nothing to do with this man anymore. And from there, we fought a lot. Because I wasn't taking his shit anymore. Right. And he didn't like it. Right. Mm-hmm. And one of the favorite comments he made after like this happened was, I was having a weekday. And I had eaten a lot because I'm a stress eater. I'm an emotional eater. I'm a whatever emotion you have kind of eater. I had eaten too much that day in my mind. So I had purged. And the bathroom I used was the one in the hall. So it was the ones that people who came over would use as well. One of my favorite comments he ever made to me was, next time you purge, can you make sure to double flush that layer of stomach acid that sits on top of the water grossed out one of my friends? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Char- and, charming guy. Yes. So, there is also one more thing I want to add. Yes. Sorry, but this is important. It's in regards to the rape. Yes. So I was on the phone with him one day, like we were FaceTiming. Um, And I had made some remark. I don't remember what it was, like a snarky remark. And he's like, okay, why, why are you so angry about this subject? And it was the subject of sex. Like, why do you keep bringing this shit up? And I'm like, oh, don't you remember? This is what happened. This is the first time we ever did anything. Right. And he just puts his head in his hand and looks at me like, oh, honey, is that what you think? Mm-hmm. And then proceeded to tell me that never happened. Right. Convinced me. Gaslighted you. Gaslighted me. Yep. I had made it all up. And that's yeah. why I say it was very important that I called my best friend afterwards. Yeah. Because I... After a little bit, especially after I got into therapy and out of that relationship, I was starting to remember things right. from that relationship. And I was starting to second guess myself a lot. So right. I called up my best friend and be like, hey, do you remember this specific incident? She's like, yeah. Can you tell me how I sounded on the phone and right. what my state of mind was? So She's it's like, good to have, a, good to have yeah. a witness. It was good right. to have a witness. And thank goodness for her because through her... And my therapist, I was finally able to come to terms with that. Right. But the point I really wanted to drive home is the fact that sometimes you don't feel like you can leave because what if what you're thinking didn't actually happen? Like, what if this -hmm. whole time it has been your fault? So 
abuse is a messy relation is a messy thing. Um, I'm gonna pass it on to D Snugs before um, diving into the current circumstances because I think it's important that both of us share our experiences with this so we can kind of show that we were able to see the signs. Right. Mm-hmm. Hey. So D Snugs, tell us your story. So um, my story is um, actually it was a long relationship. Um, the My relationship spanned years and it was a developing um, situation because it kind of goes through a cycle of what happens in my opinion mm-hmm. and what it was was that at first um we met actually at work it wasn't like the normal like things that you look out for in media because it's easier to fit into a story which yep. is what a lot of people right. look for but we it was very casual it was great um just going through it and it seemed like anything at now realizing it but at the moment in time um it was more of that everything i said like hey this is what i like doing um it she was instantly replying like yeah that's something i like too so instantly gained that connection gained that rapport um and then for kind of linking it into what happened to uh, may as well is the fact of that she actually told me and actually started acting like the victim needing that somebody was moving out of her place she needed somebody to jump in or she's going to be homeless like she felt bad that it was going to be within literally the first couple of weeks of us being together <laughs> um and then I, me being a, a guy that kind of like was raised in a, in a thought process of being like the knight in shining armor that you need to help. And also my, my own issues with that as well. So I was like, sure, I'll help. And then our relationship grew from there. Um, yeah. And the main part of how it became abusive, at least for me itself, it was not really of anything of what you think of but it was 100 percent uh emotional abuse it did at the end of it it became more physical um and even mm-hmm. some things that some people might not even fully understand but financially wise as well it, it, there was points mm. where for the emotionally side of things it was of course the gaslighting Anytime it said like, hey, did this happen or like, let's talk about it. And of course, it was like, no, that that didn't happen, like completely shutting me down and making it so then I was the one that was making this up, that I was wrong and there was nothing that she was doing wrong. Because, of course, there was probably some projections and, of course, me being not a psychiatrist, but that's my give and take on it. Um, And it came down to the financial side of things because I was always noticing that money was not being where it was supposed to. And 
from being out of it and looking at it, I came to find out that she was making, she was basically putting money aside any chance that she got and basically gaslighting me saying I was the one making those decisions and I was the one making those charges. Um, so at that point in time, I was at literally thinking that she was the only thing that was keeping me sane, that she was the honestly the best thing for me at that point. Um, Sounds which, familiar. Yeah, exactly. Once once you're in it, you don't realize it until it almost becomes too late, unfortunately. And one of the main big tactics that I came to find out was isolation. Um, during this time when yeah. I was with her in this um, relationship, I rarely had any friends. I rarely talked to any of my family often because of course her and her ways of talking to me was stating the, that they were actually against my own wishes and brought up points that made kind of sense in the back of my back of my mind, of course was like, no, that's not right. But then again, right. And, and which caused that to even cause me to even be more isolated, which made it. So then she was my world. That was it. Right. I had nothing else and I was going to do everything possible to keep this together, which caused it to spiral and make things even worse and worse. And honestly, so it's, what's interesting is as you, as, as you talk about it, Dennis um, and Megan, as you guys talk about your relationships and experience with your abusers, um, it's interesting how many parallels there are with cults. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yes. And I've yeah. said this. I'm just going to say this now. The abusers I have dealt with mm -hmm. or heard of in my life, I cannot think but compare them to cult leaders. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lot of similar traits, right? I mean, uh, call leaders tend to be narcissistic, tend the to control, be control, like the socio sociopathic, uh, tend to, uh, be, you know, they know what they're doing. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, their, their motivations may be, you know, not completely evil. Uh, because again, I think a lot of, uh, abusers are victims of abuse themselves. Mm -hmm. You know, there, yep. there's the saying hurt people hurt people. Yes. And, uh, so I do have sympathy, um, you know, in the fact that most of the abusers that I know, uh, situations that has been the case is you go, you don't have to go very far in their past to find where they've been abused themselves, either mm -hmm. sexually, mentally, physically, or emotionally. Um, but you know the the sense or the 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 isolation. The I am your I am the only one that loves you. I'm the only one that understands you. Mm -hmm. You are my world. You are my everything. I you know you can't live without me, and I can't live without you. Uh, yep. Those are all very common, uh, you know, very common um, uh, situations that I hear about when talking about abuse. Mm -hmm. So Dennis, it's it's interesting that. 
um, you know, at the beginning, it sounded like you were, and I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but it mm-hmm. sounds like you were trying to quote, quote, rescue her or, you know, yeah. you felt this, this need to take care of her. You felt this yep. need to, uh, so it's different than Meg's, right? Meg's was mm-hmm. about, she was, you know, um, she was wanting and quote, quote, needy, uh, needing, right? I should say mm-hmm. not needy, mm-hmm. needy, yep. right? Where Can't you, confirm. Where you were more, from, from what it sounds like, um, you know, saying, oh, I, I feel bad for you. I can help you out here. I can, I can mount my white horse and come in and save the day mm-hmm. um, because she presented herself as a damsel in distress. Yeah. Um, and that was exactly it. And, (laughs) um, looking at it now, realizing what I was doing, I was, it, it seemed like she knew that was what was keeping me around. So it seemed like every couple of months, something big would happen and I would have to be the one to fix it. Right. And it continuously went on to that. Um, and that was the honestly the only thing that we've kind of already mentioned already but it's an extremely important thing was that the only way that i truly realized what was going on was when i finally was able to be with my friends and actually see them and while talking to them and kind of seeing the interactions that um me and her had um whenever they were around it completely changed my perspective on everything and from them even mentioning a couple things like that's a little bit odd it made me see what was going on so right actually being with other people and reaching out sometimes that might not be the case but at least getting somebody else's perspective is huge and it is definitely needed because I would probably still be in that relationship to this day if I wasn't able to not become isolated the way that I was. So did you pull yourself out or were you pulled out? I mean, how did, how did the end come for the relationship? How did you get out for, me and this is also another kind of point to come across with everything was that um one of the main issues that came up was with her having a lot of untreated uh, mental illnesses that were causing a lot of the issues um which the main thing i want to point across is that it's okay to have those things Mm -hmm. and if it's possible definitely get it treated but she was not choosing to and that's the main thing can Um, i cut in here for a sec then sure sorry um on that point i do not remember who said this or where i originally heard this but there's this quote about mental health that i love and it is mental health is not sorry mental illness is not your fault but it is your responsibility Mm-hmm. And that strikes like it's not our faults that our brains are different. It's not our fault that 
you know, we have depression, we have anxiety, we have like borderline personality disorder or schizophrenia, but it is our responsibility to take care of it and to take care of ourselves. Mm -hmm. And that's, so with that, she was self-medicating with um, alcohol and honestly anything she can get her hands on. But the main, her main drug of choice was alcohol. So it came down to the point where um, she, I finally convinced her to actually go and go into rehab and go through all of that. And because of that, I was able to go and not be around her during this time, which is probably the main reason why she stayed away from it as much as possible. And with that, with that happenstance happening and me seeing everything that happened, reliving everything that went through my head and starting to remember a lot more things. That's when I started realizing what was going on. So me with my wonderful ADHD brain, I hyper-focused on it and I researched it and I looked (laughs) into it and I found everything about it. And I, at that point, that's when I realized on my own, which I'm still surprised to this day that I was able to, but I realized it. And at that point, I, I left. And, and even though, like, I went and mentioned, I made sure to her that, hey, I am here for you, but this relationship is bad for me and you. And we, I, we need to stop it for myself. And yeah, that's, I was luckily enough that I was able to pull myself out. I'm one of the rare right. few and yeah. I'm proud, but yet I don't wish that upon anyone. Right. No, it's not something okay. that should happen to anyone. No. Exactly. And, and, and again, for our listening audience, I mean, these are two stories where both of the victims were able to get out of the situation. Unfortunately, that's the exception and not the rule, right? Yeah. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. there are for every you know story you have where you know the victim was able to uh, escape and regain their power and seek help and you know do the work to realize that um, you know they they were abused and there's trauma there and and to mm-hmm. process that there are countless more people that are still in that situation because they don't have the resources they need in order to get out or they don't have um, the opportunity to get out. Um, Sorry to interrupt you, dad. So what kind of goes into our third story? Because I think Mm -hmm. that that is a situation that had some people not taken action yeah. That, you know, it may have ended up in a different situation. So mm-hmm. why don't you take us through it, Meg? Okay. Mm-hmm. So this story is going to be shorter because um, we haven't been there for the entire thing. But we have this mutual friend um, and we're going to call her Noelle. And I met Noelle and her now ex- Billy um, online 
and uh, we talked like we and then we eventually met up we started playing games together very frequently like I would go over to their place and um, play games and then when D snugs came into my life um, he would go with me mm-hmm. and um, there was one thing in the beginning or not in the beginning that like more into my friendship with Billy and Noel that I noticed and it kind of really irritated me. Um, so this is the part where we are going to be talking about alternative relationship um, formations or whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Um, Noel and Billy were in a BDSM relationship mm-hmm. or that's what he framed it as. And um, this is not, the podcast where we're going to get in depth into that. Um, if you have more questions, Google is an amazing resource. Um, but the kind of relationship they had was one of um, Dom- dominance and submission. submission right? mm-hmm. Yes. And in this case, she was the submissive. Mm-hmm. And so, and I'm pretty damn familiar with those kinds of relationships. Mm-hmm. Um. Because you've read every Fifty Shades of Grey book? We will not. <laughs> oh, do just, not. Just checking. Take those words back. No. <laughs> no. Sorry if this is going to scar you a bit, but I actually got into the local BDSM community of where I'm at. Mm-hmm. Because it is, I will be honest, it's something that I'm into as well. Mm-hmm. So because I was in that community and because... They had so many amazing resources. I got to see all kinds of different dynamics at work. I feel pretty comfortable in saying I know what a healthy BDSM relationship looks like. Well, so let me stop you there because this is that uh, kind of sounds antithetical, doesn't mm-hmm. it? A healthy BDSM relationship. Well, but but that that's what I want to ask because mm-hmm. again, uh, the 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 information i know about bdsm relationships is <clears throat> very superficial yes but what i do know mm-hmm. is that um it is not you know the the submissive and the dominant is not there is a boundary that is yes. set so yeah. without you know, getting too deep into it basically in a very typical dominance submission relationship the dominant works within the boundaries that the submissive has set. Mm-hmm. Communication is such a huge part in BDSM. And that's one of the reasons I'm drawn to it because I feel like it encourages like one thing they hammer into you is you have to communicate. You have to communicate what you like. You have to communicate what you don't like. You have to check in with each other constantly to make sure that everyone is happy everyone's satisfied every like things are going to continue um and there's another there's an acronym there's many acronyms but there's one acronym in particular i love it's called um ssc it stands for safe sane and consensual and what that basically means is you need to make sure you're being safe even though things you're doing might not appear safe to others Mm -hmm. 
but you know, kink responsibly. Sane, meaning you cannot consent while your mind is altered. So you don't do anything while you're drunk. You don't do anything while high or anything. You are in your sane mind, and that's the only time you do things. And then mm-hmm. consensual is obvious. You have to oh. get the consent or else. What is normally a very healthy relationship turns mm-hmm. abusive. Yeah, can, well, that's it. Very There's quick. a fine line. There is a very mm-hmm. fine line, a especially very fine in the, line yeah. between abuse and consensual. Two adults consenting, consenting to have things happen. happen. Right? Yes. Whereas, uh, if you're the uh, the wrong mindset, or you don't know what you're doing, or you're not actively communicating, uh, it can get. Mm-hmm. It can get it abusive and sideways very quickly. Oh, mm-hmm. 100%. And that's okay. kind of what happened with so Noel. Let, let's get back to Noel and yes. Billy. So they had a specific kind of relationship, which is called 24-7, meaning that 24-7, seven days a week, Billy is in charge and Noel listens. She's a submissive. So was, and that, it's, was that consensual? It was consensual. Okay. In the beginning, that is what they both wanted. But what I noticed really was he was controlling to the point that it stepped out of, you know, normal. What I personally have observed to be normal. Mm-hmm. One example um, one night we wanted to play a game that Dennis and I had at our place. I wanted to go with us. She wanted to ride in the car with us. He would not let her. Mm-hmm. He wouldn't even let her drive with us and just sit in the car while we went up and got stuff. But we were allowed to leave and come back. So Noel was... was- Noel could not go with us. Okay. Yep. And at the time, I thought, no, I don't fully know their dynamic. Maybe this is something that they've worked out between each other. Seems a little controlling to me, but maybe this is something that they've agreed upon. Mm-hmm. Anyway, just like, and little other things I noticed, like he was very short-tempered. Um, he was not very good at communicating. Um, and just a bunch of little things. Anyway, so... Noel and I kind of lost contact for a bit because crap hit the fan in my personal life um, mm-hmm. and my family's personal lives back in August, September of last year. And I kind of dropped off and she recently got back in contact with me. And it was as recent as this past Friday. She calls me up and says, I'm at a bar by myself, would you like to come and hang out with me? And my first thought is, what the heck? Because knowing, sorry, no, we're gonna have to cut that part out. Mm-hmm. Knowing Billy, that is not something he would let her do. Yeah. She was not allowed to go places without him. And um, yeah. honestly, at that point, I was already asking, okay, where's the bar at? 
and getting um, Google Maps open so I knew exactly where to go because it was from just seeing them a couple of times, mm-hmm. it immediately told me something was wrong with the mm-hmm. fact that she was taking a chance and right. we need to get on that and right. find out what's going on. Yeah. yeah she so was, she was we, reaching out for help. Yeah, exactly. So we go to the bar. And I ask, is everything okay between you and Billy? And she's like, I don't know. He doesn't know I'm here. He doesn't know I'm with you guys. So I'm like, oh, okay. Mm -hmm. We need to talk. So the three of us sat down. And she had had a few drinks, which I think made her a little more open to talking about everything. Mm -hmm. But she started talking about the relationship and a whole bunch of different things. But um, basically what it kind of ca- came down to was subconsciously or consciously, we are not sure which, she was asking for help. Because mm-hmm. it was to the point that she couldn't go and hang it out with her friends without, sorry, yep. without Billy. And that's... And in my head, I'm thinking, okay, that's not healthy. Right. Yeah. And then she would tell us other things like he would tell her that no one else would love her the way he did. No one else would understand her. No one else would want her. So that's typical. That's that's, that's typical yes. classic behavior. Mm-hmm. And Noelle and I are very much similar in we have some insecurities and we also have abandonment issues. And she was with him for four years. So over four years, he kept telling her the same stuff. And she was finally starting to catch on to it. And she's like, I'm not happy right. in this relationship anymore. Right. So Dennis and I discussed it. And we offered her our place because we have a right. spare room. Right. And we told her, you are welcome to come and stay with us. And the moment we said that, her eyes lit up. She's like, really, I can? Like, I'll pay rent. I'll do whatever you guys need me to. Like, she was like, it Mm -hmm. felt like and appeared like she was grasping at this. She's like, I have a safety net. Yeah. I don't have to stay there. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that night. So what's going on with Noelle's? So you said safety net. Right. Yes. So are, is there anybody else in Noelle's life that she could have reached out to? Um, not there? here. Her okay. family is, I don't know if they're in state, if they're somewhere else, but they are not so a place Billy, she can go to. Is, is this, is Billy's family? I mean, what I'm trying to get to is, did they move here? Did they, they met on, well, you met them online. I think they may have met online. I'm not a hundred percent I'm just wondering. I don't remember. They told me at some point, but I do know at some point she was living somewhere else and then they moved here. But that that sense of isolation. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. And he isolated her hard. Right, right. Yeah. Like, uh, long story. We're going to keep it as short as we can. Anyway, so that night she um, asked if she could stay over. Mm hmm. Because she felt she was scared because he was going to yell at her. And when he yells at her, 
um, it sets her into a very bad place where she will hurt herself. Right. So we went to her place. We got some stuff. We were in my car heading back to the apartment, condos, area place that we live in. And he calls her. Billy calls her. Billy calls her. And he's like, where are you? All this kind of stuff. And she's like, I am going to stay the night at my friend's house. Um, and he was not having it. He was not happy. And there were a few times where she told him on the phone, I cannot come back because if I do, I'm going to be a danger to myself. Right. Now me thinking that, you know, him being a healthy partner, regardless of if it's a, you know, vanilla relationship, a BDSM relationship, whatever kind of relationship, he would say, do what you need to do. I don't want you to feel like you're in danger. I care about your safety. Right. No, he kept pressuring her to come back. Right. And it got to the point where she handed me the phone and I was talking to him. I'm like, hi, this is, this is Megan. This is May. Due to told us and what she has asked, we are going to, sorry, due to what Noel has told us, and what she has requested of us, she is going to be staying at our place tonight. Right. She, for her safety, as she has expressed to us, and his response to me was, you are irrevocably damaging a relationship you have no business interfering in. Put her back on the phone. Hmm. You guys can even come with her, stay in a different room in the apartment while we talk about this. Mm -hmm. And in the end, she decided she wanted to go back to try and talk to him. Okay. Respecting her wishes. So we take her back um, to find out Billy had called the cops on her because apparently on the phone... I told him, that, sorry, that Noelle is going to kill herself. Uh-huh. Those words never left my mouth. Right. But yeah, you can imagine Noelle's surprise coming home to where she thinks she's just going to talk to Billy and there's cops waiting out for her. Right. So that's a great way to start this conversation. Anyway, so... Dennis and I stand down the hallway because I was not comfortable going into that apartment because I am not comfortable around Billy at this point. Right. And then at some point, um, I hear Billy say, tell them to go into the parking lot. Otherwise, nothing's going to get resolved. So she comes out, asks us to go into the parking lot. We do. Because I respect her. But there are a few times throughout that, while they were still talking, I would come inside. One, because it was kind of cold that night. And two, I could still hear yelling. Mm -hmm. And towards the end of the conversation, I'm walking up to the door because I'm getting worried. So I'm going to the door to knock to check on Noelle. 
And as I am approaching, I hear him say the fact that I said for her safety, it's best if she comes with us as that is what she requested or something along those lines is bullshit. Mm -hmm. Um, To end the story, she stays that night. Anyway, but we've, we told, like, we've given her our contact information. We told her, if you need anything from us, contact us. The offer still stands. So the weekend goes by. And then on Monday, she reaches out again. Right. And this time, her tone has seriously changed. Instead of a, I don't know if this is something I should do. Like, I don't know if I should leave. I'm, like, second-guessing myself. Like, what if the problem has been with me and all with him? She's changed her tune to, is your place still open? Right. Can I leave? And we tell her yes. Um, Meanwhile, she's having to delete our text conversations so that Billy won't accidentally see the text she's been having with us. Because at this point, he doesn't like me. And he's told her that I am a bad friend to her and that I am a drama queen and I'm drama seeking. So I am creating drama where there is none. Right. Now, I'd like to think of myself as a pretty calm person. And if anyone knows me, people know I hate drama because it stresses me out. So I just found that funny. Yeah. And so she's talking to us throughout the week and she's like, I need to talk to a few more people to like solidify my decision. I know I'm pretty sure what I'm going to do, but I need to solidify it. Right. And then Tuesday, she comes back and tells us that my decision made. Can you guys come get me? So yesterday we go and get her stuff and she is now in the process of moving her stuff into our place. Like we have all of her stuff. It's just still in the car. And Billy starts texting her. Yeah. And in some texts, he's super understanding. Like he understands that this is what she needs, that um, this relationship wasn't good for them. And in other texts, he's saying, you'll realize you should have stayed. Right. Or things like you ran before we could talk. Right. And so I'm actively sitting here and watching the crap that happened to me and Dennis. Yeah. Happening in front of our eyes. Yep. It's the it's the alternating stick and carrot, right? If the yeah, and I work, and I flat out told her that I'm like, right. it's it's a classic control technique. He yep. praises you and he makes you feel like the most amazing person yep. in the world. And then the next second, he's yelling at you because you did something wrong. It was never right. him that did anything wrong. It, it's all down to you. Right. And mm-hmm. I am watching her even currently second guessing herself. Right. Like, did I do the right thing? What if he's right? What if it has been all my fault? What if I'm misremembering? And I, it's heartbreaking. It is. Yep. Because I yeah. see in her what I couldn't see in myself at, at, the, at time. the time. Right. And no one deserves to be treated like this no they don't and that's a really big reason i want to talk about this today is because i know a lot of abuse victims have shame around it like 
I could have left. Why didn't I? Or I kept choosing to stay or mm-hmm. maybe it was always my fault. Maybe this, yeah. maybe that. Cause that's how abuse victims are made to it, feel. It is. They're, they're made to, made to feel like it's their fault. And you know, it's easy again. It's easy for us on a podcast to say, it's not your fault. Um, unfortunately, those words often don't ring true in people's, you know, in victims' ears because mm-hmm. they're like, no, you don't know. You don't know me. You don't know the situation. Mm-hmm. They're a good person. They just sometimes, yeah. you know, do bad things, but, you know, they're a good person. Um, mm-hmm. we, we, we make excuses for them. We blame ourselves. Mm-hmm. We, we lash uh, out on people who yep, we perceive li- as... Um, we believe the gaslighting. Yeah. We believe the lies. We believe all of it. Yep. Uh, because the to face the truth mm-hmm. is scary. It's, it is. It's it's scary to think I am in a relationship with somebody mm-hmm. that is abusing me. Yeah. You know, it, it's not supposed to to happen to me. Exactly. Right? This doesn't happen to me. This happens to like other if people. this is happening to me, it's like I'm either weak. Right. Or I did something to deserve this. Right. I did something because we're, you know, they're conditioned to believe that they did do something to deserve Mm -hmm. this or that nobody else in the world is ever going to love them or accept Uh them or understand them Mm -hmm. as much as as they will. Right. So thank you both for sharing your stories. Thank you for to Noel for allowing us, allowing you to share her story. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I hope that our listeners uh, understand that the reason we share these stories is we want to help and we want to have a conversation and, re- and remove stigma and, you know, bring things out into the open where they need to be so we can talk about them and we can, mm-hmm. you know, work through them and we can help each other through them. Uh to that point, there are resources. If you are currently in an abusive relationship, if anything that was said this evening struck a chord with you or you went, oh my gosh, that's happening to me. Or, or to someone you love. Or to somebody. So if you are in an abusive relationship or know somebody that is, uh, there is the National uh, Domestic Violence Hotline. It is 1-800-799-SAFE. That's one 800 799-7233. You can even text START to 1-800-799-7233. If you don't feel comfortable in making a phone call, you can text them. Um, they they can and they will help you. Um, I don't know if I mentioned it before, but my wife is a social worker and uh, I know firsthand uh, through you know, some, some stories that she's told me that, um, this organization is very, very helpful to get people out of abusive relationships. They have tons of resources, uh, places for you to stay, Mm -hmm. um, you know, opportunities for legal advice. Um, if you need to file a restraining order or you need to press charges, uh, if it's a physical or a sexual, uh, type of situation, um, therapy, uh, you, it's a safety net, right? It's the support system that you mm-hmm. don't think you have, that you don't know you have, you have it, call them, uh, reach out to them. 
So again, thank you both for, for sharing. Um, it's a tough of situation. Course. It's a tough topic. I'm um, glad we have a port platform where we can share this yep. stuff because uh, the more you hear about it, the better, I think. Yep. Mm-hmm. So Meg, how can our listeners who may be experiencing something similar or know of people that, uh, you know, might be, be uh, helped by listening to this podcast, how can they get in touch with us? Um, there are a few ways. We have our Facebook group, which you just type in Gen Gap Cast into the search bar. Find us, follow us. Um, there's our email, which is info at gengapcast.com. And we have a Twitter, which is, can you remind me, isn't it Gen Cast? It's, uh, Gap Gen. Gap Gen on Twitter. And you can find us wherever you listen to podcasts and dad. Like, how do they do that? <laughs> I was going to say, you're going to steal my thunder there. Um, so uh, you can find this wonderful podcast uh, at Apple, at Google, at Stitcher, at Spotify, basically anywhere there are podcasts, there we are. And so we would love it if you would subscribe to our channel. Uh, that way, as new episodes are are dropped or produced, they automatically uh, feed into your player. We would love it if you would share this podcast or uh, if you would leave a rating uh, or and or a review. That helps us, uh, you know, get visibility so we can increase our, our audience. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, if you're feeling so uh, inspired, we do also have a Patreon uh, page set up if you, you know, want to donate towards any of the costs that uh, we incur by doing this podcast. Uh, we would appreciate it. Not, not expected, uh, always appreciated. So as I mentioned at the top of the podcast, we're going to be taking a few weeks off here to get ready for season eight, uh, which will be, you know, dropping sometime in mid June. Um, I've been teasing all season about some of the topics that we're going to be tackling. This was one of them. Uh, but just to remind our listening audience, um, next season we will be talking about suicide. Next season we will be talking about um, grief. Uh, we'll be talking, PTSD. Ab- talking about traumatic, mm-hmm. yeah, post-traumatic stress disorder. Uh, there's going to be a lot of heavy topics, and we'll we'll do some light ones as well because you know we don't want to we don't want to become the you know, the heavy podcast. Uh, we're supposed to be looking at topics from the generational gen- gender points of view. And sometimes those are happy topics and sometimes they're a little bit more uh, serious in nature. But we appreciate uh, all of you for hanging with us these seven uh, seasons. They can't believe it's it's been seven seasons. I know, right? It, it has. And uh, we love all of you. Uh, and on that uh, wonderful note, I will say I'm Wade. I'm the dad. I'm Megan. I'm the daughter. Please stay safe, stay happy, and remember, it's not your fault. We'll see you in the next episode.